This is Aliens and Artists, part one of our conversation with Ket Torvaldsen. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Ket Torvaldsen is, to my knowledge, the single most extraordinary incidence of alien implants. To date, she's identified 35 of them in her body and corroborated their location by touch, x-ray, and the precise use of magnets. The magnets produce conspicuous results and seem to indicate that the implants are positioned according to the meridians of the body. They also apparently transmit highly sophisticated information, such as Ket's forthcoming book on physics and consciousness. She's a painter, a carpenter, an author, and much more. My experiences, they started already when I was three years old. And the first one is actually quite cute because this was very close up to Christmas time. I have very good memory from when I was very little. So I remember this very clearly. My mother, she has put me to the bed for the night and I had this big crib standing in the bedroom. I remember I wasn't tired. So I was standing there and I was looking through the room and looking out through the big windows that were there. And of course there was around, I guess, three, four meters between the bed and, and the windows. Suddenly it was like the wall on my left side become a little bit blurry. And out from the wall was this little creature. Well, he was a little taller than me, looked like a person. And then he was gliding over the floor and then he was stopping in front of my crib. And of course I was just three years old. So I didn't know what I was dealing with. So I was standing there and blah, 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 blah. and trying to talk with this creature. But I understood really fast that he wasn't speaking, not in the way that we were doing. So uh, we were communicating between our heads instead. He was giving the, me the feeling that he was there to see if I was okay. I'm not sure for how long we were standing there like that, but then he suddenly then he just went the same way as, as he came out through the left side of the wall. And in the next moment, I see him and another one inside of a craft, and they were hanging outside the window. We were living on the second floor, so this was, this was no car. And it was hanging there for a little bit, and then it, then it just took off in a high speed. In my little head, I was thinking, yay, Santa Claus! Because I heard my mother was t- talking about the Santa Claus would be coming soon. So, but, but the thing is that one week later, my mother, she was bringing me into the living room because I was going to meet Santa. And the person I met there was not anything like the thing that I had in my bedroom. This one here, he had the red suit, plastic face, false beard and everything. And I was terrified and I was screaming and I was so angry. This was not my Santa. So <laughs> they, they were a little bit confused when I was talking about, I've been talking about Santa for a week. And then now I'm saying that this is not my Santa. So that was when you were three. Moving forward, what was the next experience that you consciously recall? Yeah, the next one, I was around 10 years old. We had moved to another place. For me, life was quite hard because I didn't understand why, but I have always been different from others. So all the time I was trying to fit in here and there, even if it was kindergarten or school or any place. And well, I looked like everyone else, but I never fit in. It didn't matter what I did or didn't do. I didn't fit in anyway. So yeah, so I had a rough time. There was a time there when my mother and sister when they went to sleep. Then I was climbing out on the roof, sitting there at night and looking up at the stars and the moon and thinking that, oh, I don't belong here, that someone out there come down here and pick me up and get me away from here. So it felt quite lonely. But the thing is that I was doing this a lot of nights. And one night I remember this very 
shiny light over my head. And the next thing I remember is that I'm waking up in my bed. But uh, the, it was a change because normally I was girls in that age. You are normally living and breathing and talking about horses all the time. And I was not, not any exception. But now I was starting to talk about other uh, civilizations, creatures, planets, all kinds of things. And I was even drawing pictures of little men, gray men with big black eyes. Even in school, going from being the one that was shy, didn't say much. Then I was talking about all these things. Yeah, I was really giving them a chance to, now they can really start bullying me. But you know what? They, they were getting quiet. I think that perhaps they were thinking that they've been pushing me over an edge or something. I don't know. Which is such an interesting combination. One of the things that we hear from a lot of experiencers, which is an enduring feature of contact, is troubled childhoods figure prominently in contactees' lives. Whether it's trauma, the sense of being an outsider, the desire to be taken away from Earth. However, when you began to speak of these experiences, instead of mocking you, conversely, the children became fascinated, enwrapped. What happened after you finally shared your experiences with your schoolmates? They stopped bullying me, so they left me alone instead. So I guess that was a good thing. And did you share your experiences with your family? Well, my mother, she knew about it. But she didn't respond that much. Later, I know why, because I know that in her part of the family, my grandfather, my aunts, and everyone on that side, they have seen them too. Which is another pattern. These experiences tend to be intergenerational. They follow family bloodlines. So what happened going through your teenage years? More contact or a respite of cessation? In those years after that, it became all quiet. And when I was a teenager, it was more or less quiet there too. But when it comes to the paranormal stuff, there was plenty, plenty enough. It could have been had several books by itself. I was around almost 30 years old when I had my last close encounter. And that one was really a big change for me because I was going to this cabin in the mountains and I was supposed to stay there for two months because I was working on my book. I didn't even have a car, so I could not even get away from there. And if I wanted to buy something, I would have to go on skis for a long, long way to a little, tiny little store in the middle of the mountains. So trust me, it was really lonely and nice up there. It was so quiet that you can hear the quietness. I was supposed to stay there for two months. I stayed there for a week. So it was a little amputated. I was having a nice time out there, but the one morning I was waking up and I was feeling that my nose was sore, I was sore in my eyes, and, and I was thinking, that, oh, am I getting sick or something? When I looked myself in the mirror, then I could see, like, see this like uh, gray-greenish dry liquid that was a little bit from my eyes and from my nose. But the thing that caught my eye was that over my right side of the face, over my eyelid and up, there was a, this very solid mark. This was not a pillow mark, because pillow marks are a little softer. But this you can see really sharpened-edged marks on my face after something that was tight on my head. And of course, I was wondering a lot what that was all about. Well, since you're staying alone in the cabin, then you have to do your stuff. You have to make the firewood. You have to do the, your food. You have to do all kinds of things. So it disappeared in the back of my mind. It was just a normal day, and I didn't become sick either. So my, my nose is getting normal again, and everything was, yeah, just normal. 
And, but when the evening came, then I changed. I was going from being in a very relaxed state to be like a stressed animal in a cage because every fiber in my body told me that something had happened, but I could not remember what. I think I was reading the same magazine perhaps 20 times the next night because I didn't dare to fall asleep. So the next day I was on a very bad communication. I was able to connect with those people that owned the cabin. So I asked them if they could please come and get me. So because I couldn't stay there up, stay up there anymore. So I wanted to go back down. Later the next evening they came. So trust me, I was sitting there in my living room up there, all packed and ready. Everything is so quiet. And then suddenly two men are stamping their foot, uh, feet into the veranda and talking at the same time. So I think that I was almost up under the roof in a, like a shock. When I saw them, I was very happy to get back down. The thing is that when I was getting back down, then I could see the big changes because there, there was electricity. The first thing I was supposed to do, that was, of course, what to charge my mobile phone. When I was sticking the charger into the wall, it sounded like, you know, everyone knows how the microphone, how it sounds like when the microphone is screaming. That is terrible, that terrible sound. I had to leave the room. I couldn't stay in the room. And we were tested. So your sensory system had dramatically changed in that one week period. Your sensitivity to electrical current made merely charging a phone an unbearable stimulus. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it was terrible. So, but uh, I could hear that one. That that one was screaming. But I could also hear the buzzing in the light bulbs. If you're trying to play some loud, not, not loud, but uh, very some music, but not so loud, I could hear everything that was ticking and moving inside the machinery. And people, they were talking loud. It was just terrible. I think I was for several months. I was walking around having cotton balls in my ears to get the sound down. It was terrible. My boyfriend at the time, he was the leader of the UFO Norway, and he was picking me up and taking me back to the, the society. And the, the funny thing is that when I was 10 years old, I lost my sense of smell. And when I was together with him, I was using a perfume that he bought for me. And normally I took it on just to please him because for myself, I couldn't smell it. And this time I was putting it on my neck. I went out to his office just to turn around and go inside again to wash it off because it was too much. So suddenly I was getting my smell back. So at 10, the loss of olfactory. Yeah. But then later, in a one-week period in that cabin, your senses are restored and then radically heightened. Yeah. Sense of smell, hearing. I was also, I was also light sensitive. Yes, smell, hearing, sight, all suddenly hypersensitive. Yeah. It's an interesting detail that your boyfriend at the time was the head of UFO Norway. Yes. Was he aware of your experiences? Could you confide in him mm -hmm. or rely upon him? Yes, he knew. And even he was testing. I was standing there with my back against him when, when he was taking the mobile phone charger in and out of the wall. So I could not see what he was doing, but I could tell him. Did he invite other researchers to investigate your experiences? And if yes, what additional investigations were conducted? Yeah, we had, uh, through UFO Norway, we had this special hypnotherapist we were using. So uh, we went to Oslo to visit him. When we came in there and I was put under the hypnosis, then we went back to the cabin. And the thing that had happened was that I was 
going to bed for the night and was going to sleep. And in the next moment, there was this creature, tall creature of the same kind of grace, but this one was quite tall. But he wasn't like the gray and normal skin kind of tone. It was like the whole figure was shining. So he was lighting up the entire room. So I was getting up from bed and I was following him into the living room. And into the and in the living room, there was three others. They were the small ones, the same one as that, that I met when I was three years old. Then I was, it was like I was floating in the air and they were standing around me. And then they were putting this kind of a helmet on my head. So, and this, this sounds like a bad horror movie from the 70s. The helmet, they had this kind of claws on it. So it, they were sure that the helmet would be stuck on my head and would not be moving. And there was this like this arms that was going around and down under your nose. So they had like this fork kind of thing that was going up to your nose. And since I was 10 years old, no one is allowed to touch my nose because I hate it so badly. And there was also this needles that they were sticking into my ears. And from that moment on, I remember what happened when I was 10 years old. So I asked them, please don't let me remember anything more. And from that moment on, everything turned gray. And so the hypnotist guy, he was working on me for more than two hours. He wasn't able to get, to break through that gray area. And for me, that is just fine. A question I think a lot of experiencers have is why don't these entities prevent people from being traumatized? Such proficient technology and deficient empathy. Is there not a way for them to do their work without hurting people? But the thing is that that also relies on our, our us humans because it's a natural response for us humans to react being afraid if there are if you are experiencing something that we don't understand it's not the same that they are doing anything to harm us so let, if if I shall give you an example let's say all the animals that we are uh, yeah, catching during the year and we are mapping them, we're putting tags on them and doing all kinds of things, but we're doing that to help them. And then we're letting them loose again. And But of course, they will be terrified of us because they have no clue what we are doing. So it's a very natural response from us to be afraid when we are experiencing something that we don't understand, or we are also meeting perhaps something we have never met before. And at least we don't remember that we have met them before. So uh, that's a very natural thing. But for me, I guess that since I had that good experience when I was three years old, I have never been afraid. But you did ask the beings to not have you remember. You did not want to remember the pain and the fear. Well, I was, when I was doing that hypnosis, then I remembered what happened in the cabin. But I also remembered at that point what happened in when I was 10 years old, and that was very much the same thing. I didn't feel the urge. I didn't feel that I needed to know more that was going on to happen. So, yeah, I told them, don't let me remember anything more. When did the implants begin to be placed in your body? Well, I can't say that I know. I have a feeling that they were put there when I was almost 30 years old at my last encounter. But for many, many years, I was just joking about implants because I have heard all my life about implants and other people talk about implants. And I was thinking, haha, perhaps I have one too. But I'd never follow it up. But I had this triangle kind of shaped item under my skin on my neck. So, and when I was looking at some pictures from Dr. Roger Lear, he had a removed a 
shape thing like in the same thing like that from other someone other person then i think okay hmm, this that's interesting and at the same time i was also getting in contact with uh, uh sid goldberg he was living in canada then he was working on documentaries but also working on other cases like this and he told me that why don't you buy one of those tiny neodymium magnets and stick it on your neck to see if it will stick there and i said okay well i can do that and of course one thing is to joke about it that you have an implant but when you are buying the magnets and you are sticking it on your neck and will and it sticks there it's a big wow okay it, everything becomes so much more real my friend that was in my house at the, the time when i was doing this he said that well since your nose has been this troubled all these years why don't you try to stick it on your nose too so we did and it was sticking there there also i could jump up and down i can do all kinds of things i could even stand on my head and, and it would not fall off it didn't matter what side it was on it was the same thing and after that we had a little research party more or less all over my body well i, I haven't bothered to take my feet and legs anymore yet but i think that i have found more than enough so uh, we were going very very carefully all over and if you're going to do that yourself it's very important that your body is trying to be as neutral in your body temperature as possible not to not to warm you are not supposed to be sweaty or anything like that your skin should be clean so you should not be giving your the magnets any kind of being able to stick because of that so you have dozens of implants all over your body later you discover they may be placed according to the meridians of the body one way you've demonstrated their placement is using magnets, controlling for moisture and natural adhesions. If you move the magnet a few inches away from the implant, it does not adhere. Yeah, you can just take a half a centimeter off the point, then it will fall off. How many implants do you have, and were they all placed at once, or was it a gradual procession over time? Well, for how long it took them to be placed there, I had no idea. But um, the last time we were counting, doing the real research, then we found 35 implants. I don't know of another human being that's had this degree of unique biological interface. How do you feel they help you? A lot of people have, do have implants, and it looks like they're more randomly placed. So I was expecting them to be that, the same way here, but we found out that they are following like a pattern. A lot of people are asking me, why don't you remove them? trying to research on them but I, as i tell them that well i don't think that they're there to harm me but i also think that they are there to help me in a, a lot of things that i'm doing and since they are symmetrical placed then i will not remove anyone in my family we have also had serious problems with high blood pressure and heart failure and things like that on my x-rays i actually found that i had three of them they are in a pattern like a triangle under my heart so part of the purpose may be a preemptive medical intervention. Yeah, I think so. Do they also facilitate communication between you and the entities? Do they track and measure aspects of your thoughts, emotions, soul, or is it primarily physical? Of course, this is just guessing, but I think that it will make good sense. The thing is that I have no education at all when it comes to cosmology astrophysics quantum physics and all of that and i did even had the interest for it but now i'm working on a book that is covering all those kind of topics 
and it's just downloading. That book will de- will describe absolutely everything from the total till the absolute smallest thing ever. Everything of us, even the electricity and the soul and everything is built on top of moving through to exist. So the sum total of the inside and outside of the cosmos. And beyond our universe, here's the ultraverses. Ket, who or what are these entities? Why do they go to such great effort in order to have contact with you and others? What is it they're trying to achieve? That's actually quite, it's a little bigger question because I think that we, as a human soul, we are for eternity. We are here always. And of course, we are not just here on Earth. We have been all kind of other places. We have been one of them before. We have been other races. And a lot of people, they are so hooked on just the Pleiades or Arcturus and a few other planets in our system. But when you think about it, we have trillions of galaxies in just our universe alone. And of course, from every place on in this entire universe that there are life, we have been living. So, and that is just one of the universes. And then you can think about there are multiverses and ultraverses. So we are coming from a lot, a lot of places and we are internal. And I also think that when it comes to the grace, for me, I also have been one of them before. So I think that I don't remember what I've been doing with them before and what way I, what my purpose were when I was there. So I think that for some reason, what was going on there with my soul in that life, they are connecting with me in this life. Is it moving towards some point where we will coexist with them openly on this planet? It's a lot of work to sustain a program taking people in a clandestine fashion for generations to extract biological matter, manipulate genetics, and convey messages of imminent environmental collapse. So what are they trying to attain with all of this? Well, I think that the human race, it would be the wrong thing to say if if I say that, I think that we are a big experiment from day one. I think that the question is that we are supposed to evolve or expand. And I think that a lot of times the human race, we are not expanding that much. We are going in circles again and again and again. And I think that sometimes we need a little push to expand further because the entire universe, and our entire existence, doesn't matter what it is, we need to expand. How do you feel they benefit from the relationship. If on the human side it functions as a developmental driver spurring evolution, what do they get from the exchange? Well, the thing is that a lot of, for some strange reason, it's it's like that we are the one that needs to expand and they are thinking about everyone that is coming from the outside, that they are the perfect ones, they are the gods, they they are the way it's supposed to be. But you know what? They are having the same thing as we have they are having uh, they also have to expand every living creature or soul have to expand in one way or another so so yeah it's the same thing all over so when people are asking me are they bad entities well they have heard that the grace oh they are bad or the other creatures oh they are bad but you know what it's the same thing with them as they are with us let's say you meet a chinese person on the street that rob you, you will not think that the rest of the Chinese in the entire world are bad. It's just the one type Chinese. It's the same thing here. So you have good and bad entities between them two. It's the same thing as here. So there is a mutuality in play. 
our worldview gets expanded and perhaps their emotional and spiritual reality is augmented to the point of that mutuality. Many contactees say if they would just ask me, I would be open to helping them. If they were to ask for my help, I would consider it. But they don't ask, they just take. Why don't they ask? You mentioned earlier you feel you made an agreement with them prior to this incarnation. Would you have preferred that they just outright asked for your participation instead of everything being cloak and dagger? (laughs) It depends a little bit on what state you're in, if you are able to deal with it or not. Because one thing is to wish them to come down, but if they suddenly did, on most people, they would be running. (laughs) 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 So it's like, hello, come on down on this year, coming, okay, this is getting too real. So then, yeah, run away. So so humans can be quite funny that way. Well, when it comes to me, when it comes to my, the encounters that I had of this kind, well, I'm glad that it happened in the way they did, that I was not able to remember them all because I don't even like the dentist. I do go to the dentist, but I don't like him. I wish I could do the same thing. I could switch the whole episode off that I didn't remember what he was doing because I don't like it. But the dentist is, is not there to hurt me. As I said before, that I feel that the implants has been helping me to receive all the astrophysics and everything that I'm doing in a much easier way because till now, I when you are experiencing things that you know are different, then it's natural for you to look for someone else that are perhaps are experiencing the same thing. And for me, I found out that Nikola Tesla, he was working in the same way that I am doing. He was seeing his engines as a 3D models alive, working and spinning and doing all kinds of things in front of his face, 3D, and he could go in there and can take a part away and he can put another part in and he can see how everything works together. He can see the engine working in front of him. I do the same thing, but I'm doing the thing with the universe. Hearing you relate the manner in which this new book is coming to you via download, expedited by implants, what have the implants and contact meant to your creativity generally over the last few decades? Well, when it comes to my normal paintings, I haven't found my style yet because I'm more and more into this that I love to test out new techniques all the time. So luckily for me, I have this big room in the basement. So if I start on one picture, I before I know it, I have 10 different pictures on the table, starting with one technique and then combinating with the next technique. And yeah, so I never know what the outcome will be. But when it comes to the book that I'm making, I think it can be up to around two, three hundred illustrations in there. I'm seeing, getting all these images in my head. So I'm seeing all these kind of things from different angles and how I shall be making them. So I guess that I will have to learn myself to work in 3D. <laughs> so I'm testing by getting my limits tested. You do feel this multi-dimensional imaging, this capacity to conjure and reify lush visuals is directly connected to the implants? Yeah, I think so, because it's no, I don't have any difficulties. When I see these images, I can just see them in all kinds of angles, directions. I can zoom in or zoom out, or I can do all kinds of things without any kind of problems. I don't need to visualize. And the thing is that I was also lucky with when I'm doing these kind of things, is that I don't need to put myself into a kind of trance or anything. But the thing is that I need something to trigger my mind 
And that can be the problem sometimes because there was a little time that I was having this special experience before this astrophysics start. Let's say that you are looking in, in your room or looking at some other person and then suddenly you are seeing this like a transparent film in front of your face and it looks like the text that is going down after when the movie is over. But it uh, has text, it has films, it has pictures, it has all kinds of things. You just see it and you understand that this is the answers on the questions that you have had your entire life. So I was walking around for almost three months with this kind of a screen in front of my face. When you see that text, you're describing something analogous to the credits of a film. Yeah. Does that register externally? Is it located in the three-dimensional space before you? Or is it internal behind your retinas? Where would you locate it in relation to your body? I would locate it. If I look into the room, I would see it between... Let's say there are two, three meters from me and to the, to the wall, and it will be in the middle. So whatever you're working on that is significant, this scrolling content pertains to that. You get supporting answers and information. Yeah, this, the thing is that this is what it started with. And I was walking around like this for two, three months. When it was over, it wasn't like that you could sit there and say, that, oh, yes, now I know it all. Now I know and remember all the answers to every questions that I have had in my entire life. It was more the feeling that you were like on the ground zero. You knew, but it wasn't important. It was just out there, but yeah. What age were you when that phenomenon began to appear? That happened in 95, 96. How old were you? Yeah, around 25. So the age of 30 was the landmark event, but at 25, you're experiencing astounding phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of experiences around that with the aliens in all kinds of directions. But the thing is that this happened first, and after you felt like you were like a blank paper, then one day I was standing in my mother's basement. I was sewing a wedding dress, not to myself, but I had an order on a wedding dress. So I was standing there making this one and I had this deadline. So trust me, the things that I was going to experience, that was the last thing I was ever thinking about or dreaming of. I was standing there working and suddenly I hear these numbers appearing into my head and I was thinking, okay, hmm, what's that? I had no idea. And then it repeated itself several times. And then in the next second, then I'm seeing this picture in front of my face. It looks like a pearl string or a string of pearls, how we will say it. And then one more came, came along, and it looked like a DNA, but without the bindings. And then again, it continued building up, building up, and building up. And at, at the end, it looks like a 12 strings DNA. And then in the next second, it was like someone was taking my consciousness and just drag it out of my back of my head and just woof, all the way out. I was not even outside the house, not even out in our... Outside Earth, I was outside absolutely everything. I was hanging there in nothingness, and I was looking into something huge that looked like a very, very huge, very, very complex DNA spiral with pearls, and it was covered in light that I could understand it was a consciousness. And I was very felt very humbled because I understood when I was hanging there that this was the total of everything. And then in the next second again, then I was dragged 
into one of the spheres and when I was coming inside one of the, the spheres, I was seeing this, it looked like an atom and electrons, but it's not. Here was the ultraverses and the multiverses again. So here is a lot of very complex thing. And then I was dragged into one of the, one that we would normally call the electrons. And I was following the thing that was happening to this one that was before our Big Bang. And after that, I was following the whole process for how the quarks were built and how the atoms were built. And then I was seeing the whole thing up to we were making galaxies. And after a little while, I was back into familiar, our familiar solar system. And then, whoop, I was back in the basement. So that one changed my life. And after that, I have been doing the astrophysics and the quantum physics and all of that. And the thing is that since I don't have have any questions anymore because of the things that I, I experienced all before this event, then I need professors. Or I can see something on the TV or just something. And then it can trigger my mind. And when it triggers, then the, it's the film or the download or what you will call it, it just starts to run by itself and it's just starting to write down as best as I can. But the good thing for me is that when you are first doing the downloads is that it's the best schooling systems ever because when you have downloading it once, it becomes like a part of you. So you don't need to walk around and try to remember it because it's a part of you. Fascinating. Are you familiar with Whitley Strieber? Yeah, I heard the name, yes author of Communion and many other books and films. Uh, that book, Communion, registered like an earthquake for millions of people. He has an implant that operates the same as yours. It scrolls text in his field of vision as he creates. It's an auxiliary mode of perception that's continually feeding essential information and content to his consciousness. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know. And I bring him up because you are the only two experiencers that I'm aware of that have this particular visual informational feed embedded in your senses. Well, I have never been thinking it on my implants in that way. There was one guy that was actually joking with me for a long time, some years ago, that said that, well, the way your implants are sticking, it, you look like an, an antenna, like a walking, talking antenna. So I was thinking, yeah, hmm, perhaps that's what I am. <laughs> because uh, since, since I don't have any difficulties to just, yeah, as I said, if something triggers my mind, it's just getting down all the information on the topic. Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Ket Torvaldsen. For more information, go to kettorvaldsen.com. The link will also be in our show notes. Ket's book, A Hybrid Story, is available on her site, where you can also view her paintings and much more. A cartography of the mind meld. Telepathy and downloads appear consistently among experiencer accounts. They're also akin to channeling, which has a long history going back thousands of years. Oracle at Delphi, et al. What are the differences and commonalities between channeling, telepathy, and downloads? Psychologist Arthur Hastings defined channeling as, quote, a process in which a person transmits information or artistic expression that he or she receives mentally or physically, and which appears to come from a personality source outside the conscious mind. The message is directed toward an audience and is purposeful. 
end quote. Let's take a look at the fascinating parallels between Whitley Strieber's implant and those of Kate Torvaldson. Strieber has reported that his implant plays a critical role in his writing process. A slit opens in his field of vision and words, information, and important cues scroll through his awareness. This is not random content. It's an infusion of creativity which seems to anticipate and amplify his own, a creative hyperdrive. Is this a glimpse of possible future augmentations of humans? We've long been promised our senses will be magnified, our bodies transfigured by tech. For Whitley, that future is already here. Similarly, Kate Torvaldson's implants appear to have transposed her natural gifts. She feels clear they play a pivotal role in her forthcoming book on consciousness and physics. The information rushes forth, geyser-like. Often it's all she can do to keep up. These two examples naturally call to mind many others. There's Daryl Anka, who channels the alien intelligence Bashar. Anka's abilities seem to have been activated by multiple dramatic daytime sightings of a triangle craft. The infamous Alistair Crowley, who conjured a being named Lom that looked vaguely like a gray alien. Or Edgar Cayce, perhaps the greatest channeler of all time, while in trance state, Casey mentioned aliens twice in his readings, acknowledging visitors from other worlds, although he never channeled them directly. Researchers in psychology and parapsychology have established several identifying markers of channeling. They include altered states, harnessing energy from other times and dimensions, transmission of artistic expression, non-ordinary sources, healing, Prophecy. Considering these markers, do Torvaldson and Strieber's implant-driven creativity qualify as channeling? Before we decide, let's consider the work of psychologist John Klimo, who created a taxonomy of channeling. Klimo first determined that there are types of channeling, such as conscious channeling, which includes intuition, telepathy, clairaudience, clairvoyance, and clairsentience, unconscious channeling, which includes full trance and possession, sleep and dream channeling, atomism channeling. Atomism is a variant of conscious channeling but includes kinesthetic expression and components such as automatic writing, Ouija board movement, and pendulum movement. Next, in Klimo's taxonomy of channeling, we come to the variety of sources. They include discarnate spirits of deceased human beings, past lifetimes, advanced human beings, such as highly evolved spiritual teachers, non-human beings, such as aliens, spirit beings, angels, gods, archetypal energies, Akashic sources, and a person's own higher self. Finally, Klimo's taxonomy of channeling lists the variety of content being channeled, which are general intuitive feelings of loving presence and support, personal messages and guidance, detailed descriptions of an afterlife, information about the past and future, 
artistic material, such as literature, painting, and music, healing and medical material, and lastly, content of a scientific or technical nature. With all this taken into consideration, it seems there is a great deal of overlap between channeling and what is transpiring when Whitley Strieber and Kate Torvaldson are receiving transfers of knowledge and inspiration via their implants. An integral overview of channeling by Paul Helfrich provides a terrific summary. It's worth citing at length. Helfrich writes, quote, Channeling is a spectrum of dissociative states that develop over time in discrete stages. In its mild form, the dissociative state is more like an enhanced creativity, which can be applied to any field, writing, music, art, engineering, or healing. In its more extreme form, the dissociative state includes fully formed secondary proximate selves that offer knowledge well beyond the current capacity of the primary proximate self. Accessing and maintaining this state at will is a characteristic of a later, mature stage. An individual, the primary proximate self, who willfully engages dissociative states and even fully formed secondary proximate selves, may be considered healthy as long as they access and end the state at will and show no signs of prolonged physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual dysfunction in culturally appropriate ways. In other words, the use of dissociative states for personal, body, mental, and spiritual healing is also considered a sign of good health." End quote. Some hopeful words to all the artists and creators who have received downloads, transmissions, messages, visions, and imperatives from sources beyond the body. If you can hold down your day job and keep participating in society, you're probably good to go. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse. The Liminal Muse was created by me, Stuart Davis, to provide one-on-one -on -one sessions integrating creative and spiritual paths. These sessions address issues and questions ranging from paranormal experiences to creativity, self-discovery, and healing. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session. Or just sick of my home Guess I'm one of the billions Stranded alone But my heart is a beacon Pointed into the black As soon as I shine it they're shining it back There's only one light that everything shares I know there's a world that's hidden somewhere Open my eyes, we're already there Somebody is waiting right under the field Open my eyes, they're already here Oh, really?
listening to spaces They've been listening to me I've been visiting places I can't even see I wanna live in the silence And play in the storm Bless every face In number and form So give me a hand And keep me aware I know there's a bubble That's hidden somewhere Open my eyes We're already there Somebody is waiting Right under the feet Open my eyes We're already They're already here.